Uh, so as we hop into this thing, uh, we're in a series called uh, Greatest Hits, and we're going through some big stories in the Bible. We're actually going to kind of do a flyover of Scripture here in a little bit of some of the greatest hits uh, throughout the Bible. But before we do that, uh, we're going to talk about one of my favorite topics, which is movies. Anybody love a good movie? Man, I love, I don't know if, I loved them before, and I don't know if COVID got me like more uh, and a little more free time uh, during COVID, a little more stress during COVID. And so uh, it's, it's just awesome to get lost in a good movie. And every once in a while, there's a movie that's so good, they go, how can we make more of these, turn into a franchise, and slowly kill any good vibes about this movie over time, right? So anybody have, but every once in a while, there's like, there's uh, a, a movie that actually has a, a good sequels, like Godfather, if you're the Godfather, or Star Wars, some of them, not necessarily like episode one, but there's some good ones uh, in there. Uh, some of you guys, I mean, Jar Jar gets a lot of hate, but anyways, don't have time to go in it. Okay, stay focused, Taka. Uh, but every once in a while, like, 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 like Disney's the worst offender at this, right? So they'll have like, Lion King was good, so let's make Lion King two and two and a half, and I don't know how many more. They have like straight to VHS kind of movies, right? Uh, or like Land Before Time 26, right, or whatever the thing was, or like Fast and Furious, I, I used to love Fast and Furious when it first came out, I was kind of definitely in that, in that scene, uh, but then, I don't know, what, what, like Fast and Furious 46 now, right, like family, like it's, I don't know what it is uh, now, but, but it's, it's, it's pretty bad, but there are every once in a while uh, a sequel that becomes a franchise that's actually good, and one of my favorite ones uh, is Rocky. I love, for the most part, Rocky. I see some kindred spirits in the house. If you've never watched them, watch them. It starts as a true story. Just kidding. Actually, did you know that Sylvester Stallone, when he, this isn't in my notes, and I probably, I'm not, I promise I'm not going to diatribe on this, that, he, that the studio, he, you know, Sylvester Stallone wrote uh, Rocky, and he told the studio that I want to star as Rocky, right? And so the studio actually offered him more money if he didn't do Rocky. Like, if, if we just want the script. We don't want you. That's a true story. And then so he, uh, it was a package deal. And I'm pretty sure that the first, uh, uh, what's the girl's name? Adrian. I'm like, Adrian. Yeah, so the Adrian, I think they tried to cast Bette Midler. I think. If that was, if someone like Bette Midler. I think it's Bette Midler. That's my final answer. Uh, maybe I need to phone a friend. But if someone like that, that was uh, going to be originally Adrian. So if story goes... Uh, Rocky Balboa comes from nowhere in Philly and is like, he likes to punch uh, sides of, of beef. Uh, and that's not really the story. But then he kind of raises up and he fights this guy named, you know who he fights the first movie? Apollo Creed loses. Second one, fights Apollo Creed, wins. Spoiler alert, sorry. If you haven't seen it now, I'm sorry. It's been a long time. Uh, third one, we don't talk about third one. It's really dumb. Uh, then the fourth one, he fights, remember we fight? This is like the big one. Remember we fight? Ivan Drago. Ivan Drago, the Russian, right? Just this big behemoth of a man. It's like looking in the mirror. And so he fights Ivan Drago. Ivan's like the biggest thing ever. Dolph Lundgren back in the Universal Soldier, kind of that era. Uh, and then the fifth one, he, he raises up, you remember his name? Tommy Gunn, yes, who was an actual boxer, Tommy Morrison. Anyways, that was a fun thing. And then there's all sorts of other ones, like there's one called Rocky. Uh, and then there's, then uh, Michael B. Jordan kind of took over and with Creed, Creed 1, Creed 2, Creed 3, Creed 3 just came out. It's actually pretty, I actually like, like the Creed series. And then did you actually know that there's, you're like, what are you talking about talking? Did you actually know, uh, it's just like we need to go on a marathon. It's going to take you two and a half days to watch all these. Did you actually know that they're, they're going to have a Drago spinoff 
you guys are really, I mean, they, they're going to they're gonna ruin this thing. They're going to ruin this thing. But anyways, for right now, it's really good. But I say all that to say, I want to show you a clip, and it will make sense, uh, but I want to show you a clip from, I don't know if you remember this. So uh, go ahead and, and roll the clip. We'll kind of talk through it. So kind of typical uh, scene. I don't know if there's audio. Yeah, there we go. We can turn it up a little bit. So Rocky is running in his gray sweatsuit. Not a great look. So I know when, like, especially for us that are running for World Vision, this happens to you all the time. You're running along, and then just random people start joining you. You know what I'm talking about? These kids are like, hey, and then they start running, following this strange man in the neighborhood. Yep, he's got a little chest sweat going on. This is the most ridiculous thing. So there's a, there's a parade happening. I mean, this is so annoying when this happens to you, right, when you're running. So they're running along. There's like a 1,000 people running with him. Yeah, there's that kid. This is just, it's like the Boston Marathon at this point. This is the most ridiculous thing. Super Americana. He runs up these steps. Actually, if you go up these steps down in Philadelphia, there's a Rocky statue at the top. So he runs up the steps. This will have a point. He screams something unintelligible. Yep. Shows his moves. Sylvester living his best life. Everyone finally catches up with him. And we're going to freeze it here. Okay, so keep, keep this thing up. Those of you guys remember, remember the scene in Rocky 2? Yeah, okay. Do you remember this girl on the left, this girl in the orange jacket? Do you guys remember her? Okay, if you do, you're lying. Okay, so this, or, this girl in the orange shirt, I want you to remember her. She is what you call uh, an extra, an extra. Okay, so I want you to picture this. I want you to picture, uh, let's call her Kathy. No offense, Kathy. I don't know if you take that offensively, but she's a cute girl. So uh, imagine Kathy goes home to her family uh, and says, hey, I'm in a movie. It's all about me. Uh, I want you to come check it out. I mean, I got my new jacket on. So our family and friends, they spread it on social media. They create Facebook events. Come to this, come watch Kathy and her new movie. It's awesome. They watch the movie. They go out to eat afterwards. And they're like, hey, this movie wasn't about you. Like, it's about Rocky. It's literally called Rocky, right? So you are an extra, right? Okay, you, you can take it out there. So I just want you to imagine that because this is what we're going to talk about uh, today, in the movie of, of this world, in God's story, in the movie of this life, see, many of us, many of us think that we're the star, right? Many of us think we're the star, and we're not. You're not the star. I'm not the star. From the beginning of time, this movie has always been about God. As silly as it would be for that girl to say, this movie is about me, guys. Look, watch my movie, and everyone's going to go, it's not about you. We watch the whole thing. It's not about you. It's the same thing on the, on the other side of eternity. When we see God face to face, no one's going to go, yeah, it was about you. It was about me. We would say the whole time the story was about God. It was his story from before you were born to long after you're six feet under as worm food. Like this was all about God. It was always about God, and you had this short amount of time where you could point to Jesus. And we know this intuitively. Like, none of us would go, no, talk. I disagree. This actually is all about me. It's always been about me. Like, none of us would think that, right? None of, none, none of us would say that out loud, but we tend to live that way sometimes, and our hearts can drift. So we're going to kind of breeze through, kind of give a meta-narrative. Uh, that's your $5 word of the day uh, over, the, over the Bible. We kind of talk about some, some greatest uh, hits. We're going to start in Genesis chapter 1. 
Genesis chapter 1, you're like, how long is this? We're going to bruise through it, okay? <laughs> uh, it took a year and a half to go through Luke. We're going to go through the whole Bible this morning. Uh, Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, what? God created. Not you. What were you doing? What were you doing? When God created the world, what were you doing? I think it was a Tuesday, right? What were you doing? Tuesday afternoon. God, God spoke and he created light. God spoke and he created animals. He created weird things like mosquitoes. And he spoke and he, God created people. And it, it was good, it was good, it was good. And the story goes on and it talks about more about God's people. And the next scene is Adam and Eve, the fall of man, right? Where they ate the fruit. I mean, Eve technically did it. Adam did, was not exactly a good friend in that moment, right? God said, you can do anything, this entire thing is yours. He essentially created everything, and he handed Adam and Eve the keys. He says, this is for you. But one rule. You got one job, right? You got one rule. Can't break this one rule. And of course, you want what you can't have, right? Forbidden fruit. And so they do the one thing that God says not to do. And they ate it. And what happened immediately after they ate it? They were ashamed. They were ashamed and they hid from God. They were lived outside their minds. They thought they could hide from God. I know we never do that. We never do things that think that God can't see, right? We hide from God. And so they were ashamed. And what does God do? God has to honor his word, but he also takes care of them. What we see is the father heart of God that's broken, but he still clothes them. He says, I got to honor my word. I got to kick you out of the garden, but I'm still going to take care of you right? I got to kick you out of the house for a season. It's good to know. And even in this, we see the, the, the conflict uh, of God's love for us, but is still honoring justice and honoring his word. And it's good to know that God honors his word even when it's hard. Fast forward, Noah and the worldwide flood, people get so wicked that God is grieved. God is absolutely gr- grieved. He has to destroy everything. So he finds this guy named Noah, who would trust God even when it didn't make any sense, even when his mission was ridiculous. So you have Noah who doesn't live anywhere near water, right? Nowhere near water. And God says, hey, build this boat that's 450 feet long. They didn't have boat building class. They had no water for a boat, for like a little, uh, a little raft, let alone a, a, a boat that's as long as a football field and a half. 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, 45 feet high. I mean, can you imagine being one of Noah's kids at school? Right? Hey, how's your dad doing? How's that boat coming along? Right? I'm sure they, they talked about Noah all in the neighborhood. Crazy man Noah building this boat, buying up Home Depot every single day. No one else can build anything because Noah buys all the wood for this boat for the no water we live around didn't make any sense. You can't can you imagine Noah building day after day going, this is so weird. All my friends are making fun of me. Everyone thinks I'm crazy. But he trusted God. And he honored God's wishes even when it was ridiculous. It was ridiculous. When God promises something, he completes it. So we learn about, about Noah, but it wasn't about Noah. Fast forward, uh, we see uh, God uh, uses Abraham and it, but it wasn't about Abraham. Abraham was 100 years old, and he says that his wife was old. The Bible is very clear about the age of his wife. It's like, hey, barren. Nothing's going to happen here, right? Actually, they see themselves as really old, and God says, I'm going to build a great nation out of you. And they're arguing with God, going, no, there's no way. Have you seen my wife? There's, nothing's happening there, right? 
I'm telling you, read, you're like, that's harsh. Read it. Read it. And so Abraham trusted God. Even when logic told him it didn't make any sense, can God trust you? Can God trust you when it gets hard? Can God trust you? Some of us, God told you promises. And you're like, but I don't, I don't see any proof. It doesn't make any sense. I don't see any proof. I, I don't see any evidence of that. You're like, but do you trust him? You trust him? You still believe in the promise? You know what doesn't make any sense? You can trust him. You can trust him. It may not happen in your timeline, but it'll happen because God is faithful. When God promises something, he completes it. You fast forward again. You have Israel in captivity. They're slaves to Egypt, and God wanted his people to be free, so he chooses this stuttering, insecure leader named Moses. Talks him out of a burning bush, right? It's a really cool scene. You should watch the, the DVD behind the scenes. If I would have chosen anybody, I would have not chosen Moses. He's the worst leader, super insecure, right? But God chose him to lead him out of captivity. And it's just a great season. Again, you have to watch. This is like a really cool part of the movie. You've got to really watch behind the scenes because it's really amazing. There's a scene where there's a bunch of plagues and dust turns into locusts and, and the river turns into blood. It's a really trippy part. And then it ends with this amazing scene with Charlton Heston. Just kidding. Where, uh, where he parts the Red Sea. God parts the Red Sea. And the, the Israelites walk through on dry land. And then the, the army tries to attack them. And the water kind of destroys them. And God wipes out their their enemies all in one fell swoop. So he parts the Red Sea, and we see that God once again is faithful. And you fast forward again, God has prophets, prophets, that not only does, is God all-powerful, not only can God turn dust into locusts and water to blood and free his people from captivity, now God actually knows the future. And you would think that these prophets would be like superstars, right? They, they're like, uh, like Miss Cleo can tell the future, except that she can't, right? But the, they can actually tell the future, and they're hated. They're despised. A lot of them, I think today we look at it and go, I think they were clinically depressed, a lot of these guys, because they were constantly rejected. They were constantly uh, killed, kicked out. They were not listened to. And so God took that as rebellion against him. And so people kept on rebelling, kept on rebelling, and then he shows us the greatest scene ever. Jesus comes. He shows us that in response to our rebellion, he shows us what he is like. That consistently throughout this whole movie, the people of God and the people, the people of God, which is kind of crazy, are, have been the most rebellious, have been selfish, have said, I'll follow you, God, except that I won't. I promise to you, God, except that I won't follow through. And the whole time, God is faithful, God is faithful, God is faithful. And we just constantly, we're faithful until we're not. We're faithful until anything else comes up. We're faithful until it gets in the way of our comfortable and our normal. And that's the story of God that happens over and over and over again. And then he shows us that in response to us revealing who we are over and over and over again, he reveals who he he is. And he's love. The Bible doesn't say that God just loves as a verb, but God literally is love. God is the embodiment of love. We talk about this a lot, but you can find out what someone is really like and you find out what you're really like uh, when, when things don't go your way, right? You find out what you're really like. There's a comedian that talks about that. You find out what your friends are really like when you play board games. You find out who the jerk in your group is, right? When you play board games, things that care, people that care about the wrong things. Like you're not going downstate for Monopoly, bro. Like it's, this is not that big of a deal. Just 
give them a little grace, right? So you find out who the jerk is. And in response, we find out who Jesus is. That he's crushed, he's literally pierced, he's, he's dying, and he, what comes out of him is love. He literally is love. And Jesus gave and gave and gave until he ended up on the cross and he gave his life for us there. He's literally saying, hey, he's dying and he's leading, uh, he's like leading the, the fellow well, cr- criminal to, uh, to the Lord. He's witnessing to him, telling him that God loves him. I'll see you in paradise today. He's telling his mom, hey, you're now, you're now John's mom. And John, hey, you're now Mary's son. And he's like, he's like pastoring people, taking care of people while he's being executed. He's praying for the people that are killing him. Like literally killing him. And he's praying for them. Praying for their forgiveness. Praying for their salvation. Praying that God would change their hearts. I'd be praying very different prayers. Right? Destroy them all, God. (laughs) Right? Send down armies. Make it happen. I'm innocent. We'd be praying totally different prayers, right? But God is love. God is love. And the rest of the Bible is filled with story after story after story of people who came in contact with God and their lives were completely changed. That's the rest of Scripture that we're a part of today. And then it ends in Revelation chapter 21 with, with this passage. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth had disappeared, and there was no sea anymore. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It was prepared like a bride dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now God's presence is with his people, and he will live with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them, and they and, and will be their God. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes and there'll be no more death, sadness, crying, or pain because all the old ways are gone. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. The one on the throne said to me, it is finished. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. Those who win the victory will receive this and I will be their God and they will be my children. Credits roll. It's a good movie, right? Quick question. At what point did you become the star? At what point did you become a star? Like, this is for me too. This is not like I'm perfect and man, bad church. To all of us. At what point did you become a star? At what, at what scene was it where you took over and you said, all right, God, exit stage right. I got it from here. At what point? At what point? See, we wake up, I do, and we'll say things like, it's too hot today for me. It's too cold today for me, right? Or for us in SoCal, we're like, it's drizzling. We're like, God, Why? Why? The humanity. This is terrible, right? What if it's the exact temperature that God needs it to be for that day? What if it's the exact temperature, the exact weather that the creator of the universe needs for it to be and we just need a deal, right? Maybe, maybe the sun doesn't rise and set for you. Maybe it doesn't rise and set for me. It's easy to think for, that we're the star of the show and God is my best supporting actor. Sometimes he comes through and makes me look really good and sometimes he really drops the ball, really messes it up for me. Have you ever been out to the ocean? hope so. We live really close. One of my favorite things to do, because I can't swim, that's a whole other story, but one of my favorite things to do is to jump in the waves. So what I'll do is, like, say this is the ocean over here, and then this is, like, land. So I'll jump in the waves, wait till my feet touch, and then I'll back up a little bit, right, because I don't want to die, and then I'll jump in the waves, wait for my feet to touch, I'll back up. Anybody else? Like, I, I, can't, I can't swim, but I like jumping in the waves. I like that whole deal. Um, 
But what inevitably starts happening is when I do that, uh, I'll do that for, you know, five, ten minutes or whatever, and I'll look back and realize that my stuff's way down there. You guys realize? So you have to get out of sand and, like, waddle all the way back to your stuff and then do that again, and you, why do I bring that up? Because if you don't, if you're not intentional, it's not, that it's not bad to look at the ocean. It's just that if you don't, if you're not intentional about looking at where your bearings are, it's easy to drift, isn't it? It's easy to drift. It's not bad. Like, I've never done that and be like, beat myself up, like, idiot, you did it again, right? We drift. We drift. That's what happens. And God knows this. God knows this. We all drift. This is why all throughout Scripture, God doesn't, like, beat people up over it. It's not guilt and shame, condemnation. He's like, hey, festivals, tablets, write these down on tablets. Write these down on your hand. Write these down on your forehead. There's feasts. There's meditations. There's spiritual disciplines. There's traditions. Why? Why? Because he knows that we'll forget. He knows that we'll forget. And so, hey, here's a festival. Here's this specific festival for you to remember these things. Have these spiritual disciplines. Don't, don't let this book of law depart from your mouth. Why? You'll meditate on it. Why? So you'll be prosperous and successful because he wants us to remember. He knows we'll forget. He knows we, he knows we tend to forget the important to focus on the immediate. We forget the important to focus on the immediate. Can I challenge you? to not allow the important to become slave to the immediate. Don't allow the important to become slave to the immediate. I really, my definition of success is really simple. It's that when the, what the, the things that you say are most important, when they get the best of you, when the things that you say, I say, are most important to us, that we actually give our best to that. It's really simple. It's not about climbing the corporate ladder. It's not about achieving certain things. It's not about having certain things or living in a certain location. It's what is most important to you. And does that get the best of you? The best of your time, the best of your money, the best of your emotions, your mental space, your ambition. Does what you say is most important to you get the best of you? And here's the crazy thing about that. A lot of times, what, is most, what we say is most important are the first things to go. Isn't that weird? It's such a weird dichotomy. The relationships we say are most important. When we get really busy, they're the relationships that get the shaft the first, don't they? The things that we say are most important with our time, whether it be spiritual things or fitness or whatever, a lot of times those things are the first things to go when we get busy. And then we give attention to things that don't matter and neglect the things that do. Right? We focus on things that don't matter and neglect the things that do. I do this all the time. Right? We, we intuitively know that scrolling on social media, like we've never, I don't know about you, but I've never, maybe you have, I've never ended a session scrolling on social media and going, awesome. <laughs> right? I've been like, woo, I feel way more full, way more hopeful, way more vision. I feel like I accomplished something. I'm more excited about life. I'm more content with what God has in my life. I'm more content with my relationships and my, my stuff I have in this world. I'm more content with my living situation. I'm more content with everything. I need to scroll more. We, here's the thing. We laugh because we know it's true, right? Then when it comes to the things that really matter, times of prayer, times of scripture reading, times of building relationships, we just don't have time for it. It's too busy. Man, I wish I could hang out more. We, yeah, we do need to connect, man. We need to hang out. I'm so busy. I got like three more hours of scrolling I got to do today. 
Do you have any shows I can watch on Netflix? Because I, I want to burn through another season this week. But I'm so busy for the things that are important to me. It's wild. And again, it's not a guilt thing. It's not a shame thing. It's just a simply we drift thing. Don't beat yourself up. Don't be all like shameful. It's, oh, Ducky, you're right. I'm such a moron. No. Get out of the water. Get out of the stream. Quit looking this way. Look back at Jesus. Look back at Scripture. Look back at your values and just walk back. Don't overthink it. Just walk back and start over again. Right? If we're normal, if we're not careful, we drift. Now, I want to highlight a guy named Job. Job. It's Job, not Job, if you guys are new to the Scripture. So it's a guy named Job, and he kind of had this, he, he drifted. He drifted. And he gets kind of cocky, kind of arrogant, and kind of points the finger. He kind of has a Karen moment with God. And he, he says this in Job chapter 31, verse 36. He says, let the Almighty answer me. Oh, boy. Let the accuser write out the charges against me. I would face the accusation proudly. Just such arrogance. You know what I mean? I would wear it like a crown, for I would tell him exactly what I have done. I would come before him like a prince. Okay, okay. So let's, uh, let's read uh, God's response in Job chapter 38. I'm not going to read all of it because it's a lot, okay? So uh, Job comes a little arrogant, and it says uh, this in chapter 30 out. starts out with this, verse 1. Then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind. Okay, so... Other translations say tornado. I don't know about you, but if, there's, if you like challenge God and then a tornado shows up in your front yard uh, and then it starts talking to you, it's like, okay, this is not, not going to be a good situation. Uh, a little, little show of force, uh, and I think Job kind of got the message. He says this, verse 2, Who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words? Brace yourself like a man, because I have some questions for you and you must answer them. Verse 4, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you know so much. Who determines its dimensions and stretched out its surveying line? What supports its foundations? And who laid its cornerstone as the morning stars stayed together and the angels shouted for joy? Who kept the sea inside its boundaries as it burst from the womb, as I clothed it with clouds and wrapped it in thick darkness? Have you ever commanded the morning to appear, Job, and caused the dawn to rise in the east? Have you made daylight spread to the ends of the earth to bring an end to night's wickedness? Have you explored the springs from which the seas come? Have you explored their depths? Do you even know where the gates are located? Have you, have you seen the gates of utter gloom? Do you, know the, the, do you realize the extent of the earth? Tell me about it if you know. Job, where does light come from? Where does He goes on for three chapters. Just railing him. Job has to feel smaller and smaller and smaller. I mean, he, he's, he keeps it going. Tell me, if you, tell me if you know. Tell me if you're so smart. It is crazy. So uh, we continue. We'll re- <laughs> yeah, so he talks about animals. He talks about ostriches. He talks about horses, uh, hawks. Uh, next chapter. Uh, <laughs> he goes, then the Lord said to Job, do you still want to argue with the Almighty? You are God's critic, but do you have the answers? Okay, so God takes a breath after a couple chapters. And then it says, verse 3, chapter 40, then Job replied to the Lord, I am nothing. <laughs> it's like, okay, you're starting to get it, Job. I am nothing. How could I ever find the answers? I will cover my mouth with my hand. I have said too much already. I have nothing more to say. Good answer, Job. And then it says, verse 4, just to make the point clear, <laughs> he starts going again. Then the Lord, 
answered Job from the whirlwind. Brace yourself like a man because I have some questions for you and you must answer them. Then now he starts talking about his character. He says, will you discredit my justice and condemn me just to prove you are right? Are you as strong as God? Can your voice thunder like, 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 with a voice like his? All right, put on your glory and splendor, your honor and majesty. Give vent to your anger. Let it overflow against the proud. Humiliate the proud with a glance. Walk on the wicked where they stand. Take a look at the behemoth with, which I made just as I made you, just so we're clear. It eats grass like an ox. See, see its powerful loins and the muscles of its belly. I think he's talking about me. Uh, and it, its tail is strong as cedar. The sinews of its thighs are knit tightly together. On and on, really talking, really talking about the behemoth for a long time. Uh, and then uh, chapter 41. Can you catch the Leviathan with a hook or put a noose around its jaw? Can you tie a rope through the nose or pierce its jaw with a spike? Will it beg you for mercy or employ you for pity? Will it agree to work for you? Can you make it a pet like a bird or give it to your little girls to play with? He goes on and on and on, talking about the Leviathan and his strength. Next chapter. Then, the, then Job replied to the Lord, finally, for four chapters, I know that you can do anything and no one can stop you. You asked, who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorance? It is I. And I was talking about things I knew nothing about things far too wonderful for me. You said, listen, and I will speak. I have some questions for you, and you must answer them. I had only heard about you. This is really important. I had only heard about you before, but now I have seen you with my eyes. I take back everything I said. I sit in dust and ashes to show my repentance. And then, what's amazing, and this is the character of God, the next section is called The Lord Blesses Job. So what's happening here is Job gets cocky. I know you never get cocky. Sometimes I do, right? See, the earth is rotating at 1,000 miles per hour, right? It's crazy. Like, things should be, like, we should be stuck to the ceiling, right? Spinning at 1,000 miles per hour. While that's happening, we're rotating around the sun at 67,000 miles per hour. That's crazy, right? I can run at a solid five or six miles per hour, right? 1,000 miles per hour, and then going around the sun at 67,000 miles per hour. And then we're arrogant. We, got, we, we get on the teacup ride and puke, right? Like, how can we be cocky, right? How can we talk tough? God is like, man, you are a peon. I don't know if you understand this. Like, you are less than nothing. I love you, but you're less than nothing. God's message to Job was, look, I want to bless you. I do, and I will. But man, you got to keep something straight, Right? you got to be really clear about our relationship and who you are and who I am. A lot of our problems, a lot of our problems come when God gets too small and we get too big. A lot of your stress, anxiety, worry, God gets too small and we get too big. A lot of our arrogance, pride, selfishness, self-centeredness, God got too small and you got too big. This is why worship is so important. Worship, we talk about things like magnify. What that means is that you're, like, you're in Photoshop and the thing is too small and you want to scale it up. You need to pinch and zoom. It's magnifying God. God got too small. I need to magnify him to more appropriate size. And what's amazing is so much stuff in our heart gets set right when we realize how big God is and in turn how little we are. It's not a depowering thing. It's a really powerful thing. I kind of had a mouth on me when I was in high school, but I weighed 98 pounds, okay? So I couldn't really back it up. But my buddy Ryan, big boy, right, wrestled heavyweight as a freshman. 
Okay, it's a big lot of Ryan to go around, right? And Ryan was stuck by my side. He's my best friend. And so when I got arrogant and cocky, no one messed with me, not because of me, because of Ryan. And if someone's like, Ryan's so much bigger than you, yeah, that's a good thing, right? It's not a, it's not a, a demoralizing or a de, like make myself smaller because God is big. It's better. It's better, right? So what, what he says to, to Job is, look, I, give, I gave so you can give. What if that girl in the, in the Rocky, the orange, Kathy, remember from the movie, what if she, in the middle of filming, right, they run up the stairs, Rocky, 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 and she's like, guys, stop. And they stop the film, like, what, Kathy, again, what? She's like, look at my new jacket. <laughs> They'd be like, are you kidding me? You have one job, and then you can go get your five bucks and your sandwich when this is over. Like, you have one job. Run to the top of the stairs, go rocky, 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 and then go home. Like, that's your only job today, right? Look, our job, our job is to get to the highest point of influence we can get to at your workplace and your whatever, your sports team, your friends, and to gain influence, not for you but for God, to get to the highest point of influence you can get and then point to Jesus and then die, right? Like this is our, this is our job. This is why it's, it doesn't honor God for you to, to mail it in at work. It doesn't honor God for, me to, for you to be the laziest person on your sports team. Show up early, be the first one to get there, last one to leave. Not for you, not because you want a promotion, but to honor God because you reflect him. Be the best you can be. Be the best that God created you to be. And when you get there, point people to Jesus. Point people to Jesus. Every follower you get, every bit of influence you have, use it to point people to Jesus. It's wild because uh, James, Jesus' half-brother, uh, talks about us and what our life is like and ambition and all that. He talks about this. He says, now listen, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. In other words, he's talking to a lot of us, especially living here in OC, where you have to hustle. You have to have vision. You got to have a couple of things going on to make it work here. And he says, hey, today or tomorrow, you go to this or that city, you have all these plans. He says, why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. And then he says this, what is your life? What is your life? He didn't say, it's awesome. What does he say? What is your life? You are a mist. Here today, gone tomorrow. Here for a little moment and then vanishes. In the light of eternity, you want to see what your life is like? This. Did you miss it? Let me show you your life again. We get so consumed with moving from here to here. I just need to upgrade this. I just need to, if I just get through this season, this, and we are just trying to get to the next thing as God is saying, look at the bigger picture. Look at the bigger movie. You are a part of this story. Do something that will echo in eternity. Quit fighting for things that don't matter. Quit worrying about things that don't matter. We're stressed out about things that will not matter five months from now, let alone 500 years from now. Do something that matters with your life. Make a difference. Have your life be more about more than just you. You know, when we were in high school, I kind of close with this story. When we were in high school, 
just, you know, just a couple years ago, uh, many moons ago. End of my junior year, a few of us became believers, kind of our friendship circle. And those of us that knew us, like, we were very much not believers until we became believers. And it was like a big thing. And we were kind of wrestling. We were, I mean, junior year and senior year supposed to be the, some of the best years of your high school life. That's where, you know, prom and parties and all that kind of stuff. And so we had all this tension of, like, we, we wanted the popularity and all the fun stuff and the memories of high school. But we also, we, we realized that we're only going to have a, a short season with this group of friends in high school. We can make a difference, and we'll probably never see the majority of these people ever again. And all of you guys that, that you know, in high school, you, you remember this, where you told your friends, we're going to be friends forever. Now, how's that worked out, right? It's like you see them on social media every once in a while, right? So we knew we had a short season of time. So we tell uh, one of my friends, Nate, found this story. Uh, and then we would tell each other all the time. And here's how the story goes. Imagine if you're a bird. Imagine that you were a bird. Pick whatever bird you want, a finch, an ostrich. Well, not probably an ostrich. They can't fly. But imagine a bird that can fly. And God gives you a job. Your job is to take every grain of sand from the earth to the moon. You, if you have like a suit, you can breathe. So drop it off at, 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 on the moon, one grain of sand at a time. So you start with like the sand in your floor mats. And <laughs> you know you hit your floor mats and sand never stops coming out, right? So that'll be like a million years before you, you're done with your floor mats. And then you move on to the next car and the next car and the next car. Millions of years have passed. You're going, I'll, I'll, I'm going to take on a smaller beach, right? So you go and you go like a, like, a, like a fake beach in Irvine. And you go and you take the, the sand, right? And then you go to, I'm going to take the west coast of California. And you're just like a ripped little bird by this point. You're just huffing it, right? When you finally... God empties the oceans for you and you take all the sand out of the oceans. You take every coast. It takes you, I mean, forever, right? And when you finally drop off that last piece of sand on the moon, you're like, ah, done. Eternity hasn't even begun yet. Think about that. So this is what we live for. Don't live for the this live for that make your life be something that echoes in eternity and the big question is when we see Jesus face to face when he says well done good and faithful servant what that means is did we run up the steps and point to him or did we just run up the steps to point to us did we use the influence we had to point to him use our resources to glorify him or did we just point to us in this little short life that we live until we're done does your life point to him? Does your life point to him? If I look at your time and your finances and your friendships and what you do with your space, what stresses you out, all that stuff, the cube of your life, does it point to Jesus? Or are you at the center of your stress, your worry, your ambition, your vision? Are you at the center of everything? So before we end, I want to just give you a couple questions I want you to think about. One, how have I put myself in the role of the main character? Again, we talk about this all the time. Our, points, our, our, our point here on Sunday mornings is not just give you a neat little teaching for you to feel good about yourself. We do that. I want to encourage you. But I want to give you something that bothers you. I want to give you something that, that gives you something to think about at lunch. Keeps you up at night. Right? So how, how have I put myself in the role of the main character? It's not have I. All of us have. All of us have. How have I put myself in the role of the main character in my life? Second question. If it were not all about me, what would change? Just imagine your life wasn't all about you what would change what would you 
do differently. We're going to end with communion appropriately. Because again, we forget. We forget. And Jesus says, do this in what? Remembrance of me. Your heart's going to drift. You're going to make it about a lot of different things. I want you to bring it back. Bring it back. Put it in remembrance of me. You're about to see me do something. About to see me sacrifice everything. And it's going to be horrific. And while you watch me slowly die, I want you to remember that I'm doing this because I love you that much. And I'm all in. I'm all in on this with you. I'm saying, don't forget that. So, as we take communion here, and Joe will lead us through it, are you all in with God? He put his chips in the middle. Are you pushing your chips too? Are you all in with him? Or is it all about you? So, hope that bothers you today. Let me, uh, let me uh, pray, and then uh, Joe will lead us through communion. God, we just uh, humbly say thank you for your patience. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for believing in us. Thank you for pouring life into us. God, we pray for no guilt, no condemnation, no shame. God, I pray that everyone would leave here focusing on you. For my friends who have not made a decision yet to follow you, God, I pray would they today make a decision to surrender their lives to you, to trust in you with their whole heart and follow you with the rest of their life. God, I pray, would you help us to know what our role is on this earth? in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces. Help us to reach people for you, to tell them about how great you are. God, would you use us to impact people's lives? Would you help us to go to work, go to our sports teams, go to school with a sense of purpose and mission? You're writing a story through our lives. Is it a story worth telling, God? God, I pray use us to make a difference in this world. We do it all for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you stand to your feet?